Hello there, our dear listeners. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. This is Richard, your host from the HSK ETEC team. Thank you for joining us on episode 11 of the HSK Student Pod. It's a pleasure to have you as one of our listeners. I hope you are fine despite the winter cold weather. As usual, I want to start off by thanking you all, our listeners, for the continuous positive feedback and creative ideas you have been giving regarding the HSK Student Pod. Please do not stop. We encourage you to keep sending in any creative ideas that you may have and you continue sharing the podcast with your friends to help continue building the HSK staff student community. This episode is very special because it's the last episode for 2019 before we break off for the Christmas break. I just wonder where all the 12 months of the year have all gone. As usual, not to let you down, I have special guests for you who are going to share wonderful messages with us and I hope you enjoy this episode. First, we have an introduction message from Julie Volo, our Associate Dean for Learning and Teaching and Student Experience. I now hand you over to Julie. Thank you, Richard, and hello to you all. Before I say anything else at all, I must start by giving you an update on my dog Farley's condition. If you listened in last time, you'll know that Farley is my feisty little Jack Russell rescue dog, who was attacked in the local park by two other dogs, one of whom bit an enormous chunk out of Farley's side. Anyway, since then, I've had lots of, um, lots of wishes from you all to, to, uh, to hope that Farley has a speedy recovery. So I'm very pleased to report that the wounds have healed over nicely now, uh, and Farley is back to his usual, very active and communicative self. In fact, he's sitting right here now beside me, curled up in one of my best blankets, I might say Farley, uh, and wearing his Christmas jumper because we're in the back room at home and it's rather a chilly night and he does get cold. And if I sound a bit echoey as well, uh, it's because I'm in my back room at home, so it's not quite, uh, not quite as well soundproofed as Richard's nice little recording studio back in HSK. Anyway, since I last spoke to you, I have actually changed job. So I'm now the head of department for nursing, health and wellbeing, which is one of our two teaching departments in HSK. The other, of course, uh, has our allied health midwifery and social work students. So amongst you all, uh, those of you that are students, you'll be one or the other of departments. But I haven't quite stepped out of my old student experience role yet, so I do have a few bits of news for you from that aspect. Firstly, buses. I am meeting with one of the Unobus team shortly uh, to ask if they will consider putting Meridian House on the shuttle bus route. Uh, I have to say I have asked that for the last couple of years, but I am feeling confident this year we can go back with a really good argument as to why uh, those of you that... Uh, study out at Meridian House and of course the staff too that work there. We really want to have it included in all our campuses so that the shuttle bus would run, I would really hope, between de Havilland, Meridian House and College Lane uh, to make it a lot easier for everybody to get to and from there. Uh, so that's one of my things on the list for the Uno bus man. And uh, also a few other little things about buses, uh, which periodically people come and tell me about problems sometimes getting back late from, from particularly from the trusts like Lister and, and Watford areas too. And sometimes the changes of bus routes, um, you know, really throw people out when they've become reliant on a bus at a certain time to a certain place and then suddenly it changes. So I am sure we're going to have plenty to talk about. Uh, and somebody from the students union is going to join me at that meeting too. So we get a, a kind of a two of us and, and a bit more of a student stroke staff. Uh, view on it. Uh, already as well this term I have met with the head of the student centre um, to talk about all sorts of things to do with the start of term uh, both for new students and for students returning back in their second third year and, and all the kind of issues that happen in a very busy usually intense period of time as you 
come into your studies. So we have been talking about food prices. We've been talking about long queues at places, sometimes some difficulty with registration for our new students. We've also been talking about noisy accommodation, again, particularly for those who are on placement, particularly when you work in unsocial hours and you want to sleep when everyone else wants to be up and vice versa. And some of you will know that's been a a long running story, but I am going to continue with it. Uh, And also finance. So lots of issues for us at the start of term around finance. For those of you waiting to get loans in, for example, waiting to be progressed from your exam board so that the loan button could be hit as yes, you can have your loan. Um, But various other financial issues as well that that students kind of talk to us about. And I'm sure lots which we don't know about. But what we do understand is that it's a big issue for an awful lot of people. And finance, of course, can make the difference between you being able to get your head down and get on with your studies. And if it's a problem, then you're distracted or you're worried or trying to sort other things out. And then it's really difficult just to get on with the course, which is, of course, what you want to do. So so we had lots to talk about it in regards to finance. Uh, By the time you hear this, I'll have uh, met with some of our student reps at the Dean's Question and Answer session, which runs each term. Uh, So no doubt there'll be more things to follow up from there too. And I hope hope some good news stories and uh, it'd be nice to get some good feedback from both practice and, and the classroom about what you're enjoying. We will also have had our first ever welcome event for international students which is going to be on the 4th of December. So by the time, I, by the time you hear this, we'll have had that event. Um, at the moment, we've got over 50 students booked on it, so it looks like it'll be very lively. And my colleague, uh, Karen Atkinson, has been organising that and is hoping that people are going to bring some food as well, perhaps something local or regional to their own cultural background, so we can get to do a little bit of tear and share uh, and find out where people are from uh, and kind of have just a really good mixing event, um, which is nice pre the, the winter break that we're heading towards. So hopefully um, I'll meet lots more of you uh, in person at that event. Uh, so that's all for now. Anyway, enjoy the break when it comes. I know it's only a pause in your very busy year, but it is time to pause. Uh, and despite the fact you may have exams and assessments due in, I hope you find time to be with family and friends as well, uh, whatever you do over the over the vacation break. And that's all for now. So handing back to you, Richard. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks, Judy, for sharing with us the important news and keeping us up to date on what's going on in the school. Thanks, Julie. For this month's student success stories, we have for our guest, Lisa Hagen, a second-year social work student. Lisa is going to share with us her experience on being at a low secure mental health service placement. Hi Lisa, welcome to the HSK Student Pod. Thank you Richard, thank you for having me. I now hand you over to Jerry who had the opportunity of meeting and interviewing Lisa. 
Thank you very much, Richard. And uh, thank you, Lacey, for um, the opportunity to, to hear some of your experiences. And I know you're going to talk to us um, a little bit on your um, level one placement, so your first mm-hmm. placement, and perhaps just to explain to, um, to our, our listeners, in social work, students have only two placements during their three-year That's degree, right. so a, a 70-day placement in, mm-hmm. their, in their second year and a final placement of 100 days. So you're going to talk to us a little bit about some things you've observed on your level one placement mm-hmm. of 70 days, and I think you had an opportunity of visiting a low secure mental health service. Yeah, that's so right. would you like to, to tell us a little bit about what you experienced and, and what you made of it? Yeah, sure. That opportunity was, was a bonus for me because it's actually outside of my statutory placement. The experience was absolutely mind-blowing. It was my first visit to um, that type of facility. It, I had to remove jewellery, um, necklaces, rings, anything shiny. I had to wear a personal alarm on my belt in case of emergencies. The ward that I visited was the ward where service users spend time rehabilitating to go back out into the community. I found it was just so interesting. We, I sat in on ward rounds with the psychologist, the forensic social worker, doctors, uh, other clinicians, and each service user was entirely different. As the professionals were describing to me who was coming in next, I had these preconceptions of who I thought, you know, how I thought that person was going to look and who was going to walk through that door. And I've got to say, Jerry, I was completely wrong. These preconceptions that I had, uh, these ideas of, you know, from the information that I'd been given, the idea of what these individuals would look like, I was totally wrong. Um, which for Can me, you give was, an example for us. Please? Well, one of one of the individuals that was described to me, the crimes that he had committed, and just his persona, the way that you know he thought he was the Don on the ward. I was expecting Fifty Cent to walk through the door, and in actual fact, it was a short, tubby Asian man with a wispy beard and a wispy moustache, and he had a very quiet voice. Uh, yeah, it was just the complete opposite of what I was expecting. So that just reinforced for me that how wrong your preconceptions can be of the individuals that you're going to be working with just based on what's written on paper, you know, because sometimes you do only get a short referral or a short description of what's happened. And it's really important to be open minded and just expect the unexpected. <laughs> you know, to walk through that door. And, and Lacey, so was, was there anything out of that experience that you, you had some preconceptions which, which proved not to be borne out when you, when you saw this? Is there a wider lesson that perhaps you could, you could draw from that for, for the students listening to this, whatever their profession? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, don't judge a book by its cover, regardless of somebody's circumstances, regardless of whether they are living in poverty or whether they are actually quite affluent, regardless of any mental health conditions, any physical health conditions. It's so important that everybody is treated the same, with the same levels of respect. In social work, by your first placement, you will be well informed of the Equality Act 2010 and the protected characteristics within that. You know, regardless of your, your race, your ethnicity, your sexuality, it's, it's just so important to have unconditional positive regard towards everybody that you work with. 
Mm. Thank you very much. And is there any kind of message that you can give to students about um, not necessarily just a social work placement, but how to make sense of a placement in respect to the rest of the learning that, that's going on? In other words, I'm asking you mm. how you connect placement with yeah. what you've been studying so far. This is the thing, Jerry. I mean, on paper, theory is reasonably easy to follow, but actually recognising when those theories are being applied around you in the practice setting is something entirely different. We all use those theories every day, even at home, but we don't realise we're doing it. Um, And until you are informed of those theories, you know, that's when I find now, even in my personal life, I think, oh, that's so-and-so or that's so-and-so and theorists' names pop into my head. I think with regards to applying what you've learned in the classroom to placement, do your research, you know, don't just write down, you know, what you've learned in the lectures, you must do lots and lots of extra reading, because the better informed you are, then the more effective and the more professional, the more efficient that you're going to be on placement. And I think that with regards to applying theories to your practice setting, that's actually what I'm doing at the moment. Uh, And one of the biggest theories that my practice educator is having me concentrate on is the systems theory, as that entirely affects everything. It affects everything, from politics to the benefit system to the housing system. The systems theory is all about the the knock-on effect that one system will have on another. For example... Last week, I was discussing with a colleague our current situation in the UK with Brexit, the dreaded word. From my understanding is that our groceries, our foods, you know, some things that we buy in the shops are actually going to go up in price. And so therefore, the politics system is going to have a knock-on effect with the benefit system. Because for families that are living in poverty and they're living on very small incomes, it's then going to become even more difficult for them to be able to buy that fruit and veg, to be able to buy that fresh meat for their children. And I just think that that is a perfect example of where the systems theory comes in because it's one system having a negative knock-on effect on another system. And then that system could well impact on the health system because we could possibly end up with children that are malnourished or not getting the necessary vitamins that they need. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting, Lacey, and I think that your message um, to students across the school will definitely, you'll get a lot of people nodding as you say that it's, it's so important to be able to apply theory to, to the practice setting. That's perhaps the hardest bit. So mm. understanding theory in principle, but mm. applying it to complex Absolutely. situations is, uh, is particularly difficult. Absolutely. And, and one last question for you, Lacey, if mm-hmm. I may. 
is to ask you now that you're exactly halfway through your degree. That's right, I know. Okay. Um, so what's exciting you so far about, about social work and becoming a social worker? Is there anything you'd like to share there for other students in the school? Everything. It's just so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. I mean, the, the late nights, the sleepless nights, the stress and anxiety with the assignments, you know, that's the real side of it. But it is, it's so worth it. It really is so worth it. Because once you start working with service users, and you get to see where they were when you first, you know, took their case and the positive progression that they managed to achieve within their lives to know that you were part of that and you, you know, you enabled them, you gave them the tools that they needed to achieve those outcomes independently. It's just, it's such a fantastic feeling. Well, I think that's a really inspiring message, Lacey, and I'd love to thank you for, thank uh, for you. coming and being interviewed. And now we'll pass back to Richard for the rest of the podcast. That's a fantastic message from Lacey and Jerry. Lacey, thank you very much for coming to share with our listeners your experience during your placement. It's a beautiful message and it's very empowering. I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed your placement experience message especially those students who are starting or changing their placements. We wish you good luck on your remaining part of the second year. Thanks, uh, Lesson, for joining us on thank the HSK Student Pod. Don't forget to thank Jerry for interviewing Lesson. We always appreciate the time taken by our interviewers to come to interview our guests. Thanks, Jerry. This is to all HSK Student Pod listeners. We are always keen to hear first-hand accounts from HSK students about your work, your experiences, your challenges and successes. Please, do get in touch if you've got a message you would want to share with our listeners. Before we continue with the podcast, Aidan Mitchell, a member of the HSK EdTech team, had an opportunity to go around HSK and briefly asked a few random students the following question. Do you know what a therapeutic radiographer does? Mm, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's perfect yeah. answer. Yeah, a therapeutic radiographer uh, is a radiographer who, who treats patients um, uh, with, um, who do procedures to, for patients that are beneficial to the patients? Um, yeah, um, the therapeutic radiographer is a person who treats patients with radioactive materials intravenously. For example, the patient group um, in the oncology cancer patients. We can now continue with the podcast and get the opportunity to hear from Lynn, who will make sure all our listeners have a better awareness of radiotherapy and hopefully also get a better understanding of what a therapeutic radiographer does. Well, thank you, Grace, for that great introduction. For this month's professional spotlight, we have our guest, Lynn Gordon, one of the senior lecturers from the radiotherapy team. Lynn is going to share a brief message with us to help raise awareness of radiotherapy. 
Lynn, welcome to the HSK Student Board. We're happy to have you as one of our guests today. Thank you, Richard. It's lovely to be here. Lynn, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I qualified as a therapeutic radiographer back in 1988, seems ages ago now, and then had most of my clinical career as a, a therapeutic radiographer at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. And then in 1996, I joined the university's radiotherapy team. Um, and I've worked since then. I started as a lecturer and then progressed through to senior lecturer. And I'm currently the admissions tutor for radiotherapy. So I've been here quite a long time now. Well, it's nice to have you, Lynn, uh, on our HSK student board. Now, Lynn, I actually get a lot of confused and I'm sure our listeners do. What is uh, radiotherapy? So radiotherapy is a treatment that is used to treat mainly cancer. And the way we treat cancer is by using very high energy um, X-ray photons. Um, and we point those X-rays at the cancer or where the cancer used to be in a patient. And uh, it causes changes in the tissues, which mean that the, the tumour hopefully decreases in size and hopefully is then eradicated. Thanks, Lynn, for highlighting this. Now, sorry to annoy you more. How is radiotherapy different to diagnostic radiotherapy? So um, diagnostic radiography is concerned with actually diagnosing disease. So if you've ever been for a, a chest x-ray or had an x-ray of your wrist or a CT scan, etc., what the doctors are looking for is what is the cause of either the illness or the injury. Um, now, those diagnostic radiographers will use radiation in order to find out what's wrong and to take those images and pictures. But the level of energy of the radiation used is much lower than in radiotherapy. So if you go for an average um, chest X-ray, then you'll be having um, a machine that produces about 120,000 volts worth of electricity. And that will be flashed on for a fraction of a, a second. And that's what produces the image. Compare that to radiotherapy, where we're switching on the machines for uh, 20 to 30 seconds at a time. Um, and our machines produce up to around 20 million volts worth of energy. And you see the, the difference in scale. And it's because we use such high energy x-rays that they actually cause that damage to the cells in different cancers rather than just taking a picture of them. Wow, thank you. Thank you for that information. I'm aware at UH there are two radiography programs. What is the difference between these two programs? So this is something that can get a little bit confusing because there's one professional body called the Society of Radiographers, but there are actually two types of radiographer. One is the diagnostic radiographer who uses the equipment to take those images, as I've just described. And the other one is the therapeutic radiographer and their specialist role is to operate the equipment that delivers that radiation treatment in order to treat cancer. So although there is a commonality between the professions in that we both use radiation as part of our day-to-day -day work, they're very, very different professions, and you have to qualify in either one or the other. You can't do both together in the UK. So if I decided I wanted to go away and qualify as a diagnostic radiographer, I would have to go away and do a separate degree in order to get those skills and qualifications. 
Wow, thank you for highlighting that. At least now I know the difference when I meet the staff running the programs. I know what each person does. Lynn, why is radiotherapy so important in the treatment of cancer? Well, cancer is a disease of an aging population. So what we know is that um, as people are living longer because they have better nutrition and better access to um, healthcare generally, um, we're more likely to live longer. And indeed, the age that you're going to live to has gone up by about four years in, in the last 20 years. So when we look at cancer, it's thought that about one in two people in their lifetime um, is at risk of developing cancer. And the reason it seems as though it's getting more common is just because people are now surviving to an age where they're going to develop cancers that um, they wouldn't otherwise have done because they'd have died of other diseases. So, for example, 20 to 30 years ago, when heart disease and strokes started being treated more effectively with statin drugs, that meant more people were living um, after heart attacks or serious heart disease, which meant they lived long enough to develop cancers. So that kind of explains some of the reasons why we're seeing more cancers these days than we would have done 20 to 30 years ago. So the reason radiotherapy is such an important part of the treatment of cancer is that um, not every cancer can be treated by just one thing. So surgery is suitable for a lot of cancers. But for example, if you had a, a cancer that developed in the brainstem right in the middle of, of, of the cranium, it would be very difficult to get to surgically without causing the patient lots of damage that would impact on their function or might even kill them. So radiotherapy would be an ideal modality to treat that. There are some cancers that don't respond to chemotherapy drugs. So a particular one that I can think of is malignant melanoma. Um, it doesn't respond to very many drug treatments. Um, and unless you catch it very early, it's very difficult to treat with um, chemotherapy. So we can use radiotherapy for that as well. However, we would have to give very, very high doses. That's a, a particularly difficult cancer to treat. And there are other cancers that are very, very sensitive to, to radiation. So some of the lymphomas, we can almost tickle with radiotherapy and they will reduce really, really quickly. So where, where radiotherapy is really, really useful is as part of a multimodality management regime. Very, very few cancers will be treated solely by radiotherapy. Most people's cancer um, will have other treatments, whether that be hormone therapy, chemotherapy, surgical um, options or biological options. And then we mustn't forget, of course, all the supportive therapies that patients with cancer need when they've been diagnosed, um, such as pain control um, or psychological support as well. You have highlighted the importance of radiotherapy in cancer treatment. So, would I find radiotherapy in department in every hospital? Um, actually, no. Um, radiotherapy is such a specialist discipline that there are currently 64 NHS hospitals in the whole of the UK that have a radiotherapy department. So compare that to every hospital, however large or small, will probably have a diagnostic imaging department. Um, so this makes our profession very, very specialised. Um, across the whole of the UK, we probably only recruit around about 200 students per year um, in the 10 institutions that deliver radiotherapy education. Um, there are a few more hospitals propping up in the private sector, 
Um, and so that probably takes the number nearer to 80 to 85 within the UK. And then, of course, the, the biggest development that's come this year is the development of proton radiotherapy centres. And this is a very, very specialist type of radiotherapy that's been developed and is specifically very good for treating um, children with cancer. Um, the reason there's only those proton centres plus a couple of private centres um, just being developed in the UK is how expensive the equipment is. So to build one proton unit, you're talking between 18 and 25 million pounds just for the equipment. Um, an average linear accelerator, which is the treatment unit that um, delivers radiotherapy, would be around about one million pounds to, um, to build the, the room that's housing it and to install the equipment. Lynn, what opportunities do our radiotherapy students have for doing their course? Well, we work very closely with our clinical practice sites to make sure that our students have an absolutely fantastic um, clinical education experience. Um, we currently send our students out to Addenbrooke's in Cambridge, to Peterborough, to um, Northampton, Reading and Oxford, to Imperial Hospitals Trust in North London, to Mount Vernon Hospital round in um, West London. And um, we've just recently taken on board Poole and Portsmouth. So we have lots of opportunities for our students to, to travel around and see different radiotherapy departments. Some are small, some are specialist. And so we rotate our students around to make sure they see the full spectrum of complications from cancer treatment or um, different diseases and tumours that um, we would expect them to be seeing once they've qualified and moved on to their first post-employment. And the other thing that we do is we provide our students with opportunities to go on elective placements. So if they want to go and work abroad for a couple of weeks or they want to maybe go visit a department in the north or in Scotland, something like that, we can facilitate that as well. Um, but within their clinical placements, we make sure that um, they see the technical aspects of the role, um, which is operating the equipment, but obviously a major part of a radiographer role is to care for the patients and be able to get somebody through what's a very, very anxious time. If you can imagine you've just been diagnosed with cancer, you've, you might be in shock, you might be wondering whether you're going to survive this, you're going to be thinking about what your future holds. And so a big part of the radiographer's role while they're treating those patients and making sure that radiation is delivered as accurately as it possibly can be, is to make sure that the patients have as good an experience as they can. And I think what we're really proud of at UH is the way that we can produce graduates who are empathetic, caring, and just hit the floor running. This is a message we get back quite consistently from the employers that employ our graduates. Arlene, any final message you can give to HSK students? I know most of our HSK student listeners may not be uh, radiography students. So any final message you're, you're leaving with us today? I think one of the things to note about um, therapeutic radiographers is that we are the only profession that learns about cancer and its treatment from day one of the undergraduate program. So from that perspective, we really are the experts in cancer and its management. And although our program is labelled radiotherapy and oncology, we don't only get our students learning about radiotherapy, they learn about all the other 
um, treatments available to um, treat cancer as well. And this is because if you get a patient coming into the radiotherapy department who's asking about a side effect or a new niggle that they've developed, we need to be able to determine whether that is related to the radiotherapy or something else that's been happening to them. The other thing I just want to say is just take just be mindful of your own health and well-being as well. We know that an awful lot of cancer is related to lifestyle factors. And although I don't want to get a little bit preachy, we do know, for example, that around 80% of lung cancers are related to smoking. And we're getting increasing evidence to suggest that quite a few cancers are related to what you eat, how much you eat, and also alcohol consumption. So whilst I wouldn't be wanting to stop our students having a lot of fun, because that's part of being a great uni student is knowing how to balance that, that work-life balance. Um, just be mindful about what you're doing today will impact on your health and well-being in the future. And something that you can do for yourself and your families is just consider which things that you might be able to change to reduce your risk of cancer in the future. And hopefully, therefore, reduce your need to have radiotherapy yourselves in the future. It's a fantastic treatment, but my perfect world would be one where we could eradicate cancer and I think what's important to remember is that when a patient has a diagnosis of cancer, they're likely to have met between 15 and 20 different healthcare professionals along their cancer journey. Now, if you're a nurse or a paramedic or a physiotherapist or any of our other professions here at the university, it's likely that you will treat or manage a cancer patient at some point in your careers. Now, if we're thinking that 50% of patients with cancer have radiotherapy as part of their treatment, then part of your management might be related to any of the side effects or ongoing issues related to that radiotherapy treatment. So it's a good idea to maybe get to know your therapeutic radiography students at the university and because they will be well placed to help you understand what the ongoing results of any radiotherapy treatment might be and how that might impact on the care of the patients uh, when they come into your care, having had that radiotherapy. That's fantastic. That's a good way of uh, cross-linking the different programs. And I know this is the last HSK pod before the vacation period, so I'd just like to take the opportunity to wish all our staff and students very best wishes for the season, and have a happy new year too, however you should choose to celebrate. What an enlightening message you have left with our listeners. Thank you so much for the wonderful and useful information you have shared with us today. I'm sure our listeners are going to take on the key messages and any issues you have raised today. 
Thank you so much for coming on the HSK Student Pod. Well, thank you very much for having me here, Richard. And um, should any of the listeners want any further information about radiotherapy, then they're quite welcome to pop in and see us in 1F251, which is our team office, or drop me an email. I'm sure you can find my details on the admissions page of the radiotherapy program on the Hearts website. Thanks, Elaine, for that message. Dear HSK Pod listeners, I'm glad to say I have a very important guest for you next who's going to share a message with us. The Dean of School, Jackie Kelly, is our next guest. Hello, Jackie. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm delighted to be here. It's a great honor to have you here with us today as one of our guests. Dear HSK Pod listeners, I now hand you over to Jackie. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm absolutely delighted to have the opportunity to contribute to the HSK pod episode 11, I believe. Um, I have so enjoyed every episode so far, and I hope that both the students and the staff have also enjoyed them and gained from all the helpful contributions of all the guests that you've had um, in the past 10 episodes to date. It's really my privilege uh, to be the Dean of the School of Health and Social Work, and as I say, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak to everybody just for a few minutes today. HSK is, of course, one of the largest schools in the university, and we have such a fabulous community of almost 5,000 students in HSK across our undergraduate, our postgraduate, um, our postgraduate research, our CPD and and, and short course um, portfolio, um, as well as 300 staff, again, contributing from an academic perspective, a professional staff perspective, um, our technical team and our research colleagues. Um, supporting our student experience, our research and enterprise um, activity. So uh, a very big and uh, a very busy school. It is also a really fabulous community, as I think you all agree. And I'd really like to take the opportunity to thank our students uh, in this short message, really, to thank them for making it such a great place to be, to learn in and indeed to work in. There are a particular community of students that I would like to thank um, since I have the opportunity to speak to your listeners. And that's especially to thank our students who have stepped forward as representatives in some way within their course, within their programmes, and particularly those who've been elected, for example, as student representatives, um, our school community officer, but equally just would like to speak to any of our students to say a really big thank you um, and well done. If you have reached out at all to a fellow student in any way in the past year, big or small, um, to make their learning journey and their time at the university more positive, to be supportive at a difficult time, or indeed just to make that a welcoming experience or show somebody where to find an awkward room when they're wandering the corridors. So many thanks to all of you for how you've contributed to one another's journey and looked out for one another. Please do continue to do so. Our school is only as good as the people within it and everybody has, you know, both good and bad days and we all benefit from a friendly smile or indeed a supportive comment. I think you'd agree. Yeah, definitely, Jackie, definitely. I'm really looking forward to celebrating with some of our students who will be graduating this coming Saturday. So many congratulations to all of our students that are graduating. Congratulations on your success and we look forward to celebrating with you and your families this coming weekend. 
But for others, some of you will still be handing in uh, pieces of work at this moment in time. Some of you will still be studying uh, on placement or preparing for your next assessment submission, an OSCE or, or an exam early in the new year. So do be mindful as we approach the festive season of all of the support that's still available to you, both on campus, via any of our online resources. But equally, as I'm sure many of your lecturers and, and colleagues will tell you, do remember to continue to plan well um, and work hard because those we know are the raw materials for success for us all. But I would also say do remember to take a little bit of time over the coming festive season to recharge your batteries, take a little bit of time for yourself, touch base with friends, with family or those close to you. We also know that there will be a community of our students, particularly those of our students who are from our wider international communities, who won't necessarily be heading home over the festive break. So do be aware of all of the activities um, that are available to all of you um, on campus and access those opportunities to meet up with other people um, and don't be isolated at any time over this break. And if you do celebrate Christmas, I just would really like to take the opportunity to wish everybody in HSK a very happy Christmas. But for all of you, please do have a restful break. And I wish you every success in all of your endeavours in the coming new year in 2020, whether that be academic, professional or personal. And Richard, many thanks to you for supporting all of the HSK pod episodes thus far. It's been, as I say, a really pleasurable listening experience. And many thanks for the opportunity to um, address our community uh, through HSK pod today. Thank you so much, Jackie, for the wonderful message you have shared with us today. I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed listening to you. It's great to hear directly from the Dean of School. And I agree that HSK is a very friendly and wonderful school to study or work in. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you very much, Richard, and all the very best. Bye, Jackie. Bye-bye. I wish to thank our guests, Julie, Lesse, Jerry, Lynn, Grace and Jackie for the good messages they have shared with us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the HSK Student Pod. I also need to thank Aiden and the following students who took part in this episode's Vox Pops. Gloria S. and Grace O. third-year adult nursing students. Koran studying a master's in psychology. We have enjoyed listening to your Vox Pops. I also wish to thank Anthony Habland for all your technical support. Thanks, Anthony. Before we come to the end of this podcast, I know we are so busy and there's a lot going on in HSK, especially being able to accommodate the demands of placements, 
lectures, assignments, and home life, including so many other things that need our time. I need to remind you of the support there is for you here in the school and in the wider university. I just continue to encourage you to make the most of the resources and support you are being offered, please. Do not sit in silence. There are always people willing to listen to your needs. Please, if you have not yet done so, do not forget to sign up to the HSK Student Podcast so that you can receive new episodes automatically. This can be done by downloading and installing the SoundCloud app, which is really a free app that will give you easy access to the podcast episodes. Those who have iPhones can also get access to the podcast through the iTunes download list. I also need to encourage you to remind five friends of yours to listen to this episode. By doing this, you are doing your part to help build the HSK staff student community. Please, do get in touch if you've got an idea or a message you'd want to share with our listeners. Nothing is too small to be shared. Just send an email to richardonr.matovo2 at hearts.sc.uk, which is r for richard, dot, m for mother, a for apple, t for tango, o for office, V for Victor, U for Umbrella, then you write a number two at hearts.sc.uk. Alternatively, please feel free to pop in room 2F267, which is located at the top floor of the right building. We are always delighted to hear from our listeners. I know it's a festive season, but there are many of you who are going on placements or still on placements, and many of you are working so hard on your assignments or research projects. Academic staff are also very busy marking student assignments, and some even taking on extra load of working on their own CPAD assignments, master's or PhD research projects. I wish you good luck on your placements and in your current or future assignments. Lastly, I just need to say look after yourselves and I wish you a good Christmas and New Year celebrations. I hope you have a wonderful time with your family and friends. Bye-bye from Richard, your host, and join us in our next HSK Student Pod, which will have something fresh and new to listen to. I wish you a Merry Christmas.